Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be at this holy place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. Allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break the chains of all evil and sin that holds us captive. May in this service be cursed all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness. All of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your redemption, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. Allow us to discover your shining countenance. I lay this service in your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Тебя. Не знаю, ты жив, и поэтому я 
So 
have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches and knowledge of God, the book of Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. This promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. In other words, the pastor of every individual church, if, of course, he is not selected by men or has placed himself. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we have been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant in which we died by the law, for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so received confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant and the foreman of the law of the spirit of life Romans 4:13. for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith we note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God 
which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated one. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated people. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, this is the atmosphere of the peace of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals of God and his works called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and his children. In Scripture, the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, by the preached word of the apostles and prophets, in the form of seven unchanging elements. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. In other words, not having these in your heart, this fruit in your heart, these are these ingredients, these components in your heart, we will need to forget that the kingdom of heaven exists for us. If we don't have these, then we in vain waste our life, go to church, and live in vain. Because life is given for man so that he would receive salvation and return to his father's house. In Adam we lost our father's house, but in Jesus Christ we re-obtain it. And when we receive salvation, we receive it in the format of a guarantee. And then when we begin to invest this salvation, then within our heart this fruit begins to form. Let us look at the seven qualities of the fruits of virtue. The seven qualities of the fruits of virtue are in one another, contain the characteristics of all the other qualities, which is why they flow one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities, these seven characteristics, are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and, and an example inherent to the essence of God. If we are given this promise, it's a command, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, then these components make us perfect, these seven qualities of virtue, and only possessing these virtues we will be able to shine with our Son upon the righteous and unrighteous as God does, and pour our reins upon the just and unjust just as God does or wants. 
Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities presented in the seven characteristics are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, these seven unchanging characteristics, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit, we become part of God's divine nature, which is why the confessions of the faith of our heart become equal in power to the words that come out of the mouth of God. Since the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. And also cowardness as well. People demonstrate such a tolerant love due to cowardness. A couple of people uh, have spoken to me before. This is talking about pastors of other churches, surrounding churches, and came to me secretly, Pastor Arkady, everything that you say, we know it's the truth and that you're a person of God. And we agree with everything. You need to know this. But when the multitude of the people will go against you, I will go against you too. But secretly we are supporting you, although we say we're against you verbally. And when we say negative things about you, you need to know that this is really not what we think. If you can imagine this, uh, some kind of, this, this uh, what would be cowardness. The problem is not me. You're not uh, betraying me. You're betraying Jesus. You're betraying God who gave you salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, wake up for once and see what you're doing. I am a vessel of God. I am his tool that ga gave myself as his tool. And I'm not afraid of anything, If even if I lose everything, including my life, but at, le at least I will obtain God. I vowed to God and I told God these things. Whatever you reveal to me, I will tell your people, even if it will threaten me and dishonor me in front of others or not be to my benefit but I will do it anyway and and so they say, instead of saying, be, may the works of the devil be cursed, may the works of the devil be destroyed. When you say, let them be destroyed, you also are cursing them. It's the same thing. But they don't like these certain words that, you may, that, that we may be using. As you remember the fig tree that dried out, why did it dry out? He cursed it. Uh, it did not bear fruit. There was no ladder that he would be able to rise and descend from, or his angels would be able to. Fruit was not on that tree, and it wasn't bearing fruit, so it was cursed. And so people, uh, due to cowardness, uh, they 
uh, submit and subject themselves to this tolerant love. It is the power of the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. And this is here on earth, not when we are going to uh, be in heaven. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge, and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical goals and purposes of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man, when they talk about the tolerant love of man, they talk about it as how it's blind. A person falls in love and doesn't see, and everyone's trying to tell him, look at who you're in love with. This person is not Christian. Look look at the terrible things this person has. No, I love this person. I love him. I love her. This is blind, but God's love is not blind. It sees all things and is holy and selective. It will never choose a person as a partner that is in this way. God will never such people to communicate with them and will not allow them to enter the kingdom of heaven. The tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical goals. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. This is one of the places, one of many places of scripture. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. Because there's never an abstract evil or an abstract good. In order for evil to be, it needs to be in someone who's carrying this evil. It's a programmable system of evil or good that would be able to present this. As there a compu- there's a computer and a program, the program can have evil and good. All will depend on the nature of program that you put in there. We have two programmable systems in our body, the new person that is born from God and the old person that we have inherited from Adam. We are born with him. But as soon as we come to the Lord and are born again, we now have a second programmable system, this new person, the sacred person. And there are now two opposite programs that uh, are greeted, greet one another, and all depends on us what programmable system we will choose what program we will follow, we will follow that program if we choose. If you have chosen uh, the program, the system, that's you will follow. 
You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1, 9. Taken from the 45th Psalm of David. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. <clears throat> you see, God hates and loves the other. Hates one, loves the other. He shall pour out his rain and in rain his coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5 through 7. When it says his countenance beholds the upright, he falls in love with the righteous one. Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we are able to demonstrate God's perfection in his reaction to good and evil and the righteous and the unrighteous. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the form of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father, so we can shine the light of our Son upon ju the just and unjust and pour out our rains upon the righteous and unrighteous. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon, not in any dictionary of the world, the love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses, in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 in the first uh, generations of Christianity, there was a faith teaching that God already foreknew and uh, the one to perish and the others to be saved. So it was useless to try to be saved if you were already predetermined to uh, destruction. But people missed the very important words for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. God does not base himself from, from himself, from, but from us. He sees ahead of time uh, when he sends his word, his truth, that he will look at how you will react to that truth. Will you be ready to die for this truth together with him ex or receive persecution because of the truth? We see it's the truth, it's good, but I'm sorry, I can't. That's because then the multitude will go against me and I will be left alone. I will not be able to confront this large religious group. Why not? These are dead religious groups. Why can you not? One holy person can uh, resist this entire religious uh, group. One Elijah was able to resist and confront this religious army and was saved and was raised alive and went to heaven. He thought he was alone, but God said, I have 7,000 more like you. Of course, it will seem to us that we are alone, but we're not alone. 
I believe that we're not alone, although sometimes it may appear like we're the only ones and that there are very few of us, just small little groups all over the world. Some groups I am known, uh, I, I am familiar with, I'm talking about uh, the Slavic, uh, but I, I'm not familiar with the other nationalities, of course, but I know that they are there. 7,000 is uh, the symbol of fullness or wholeness, it's not a literal seven, a number of 7,000 people. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stop to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 I would like to explain a little, a little bit more that the Son of God showed himself through the church. He was not able to uh, manifest himself out of his individuals, out of his people. It can't be that it would so he would be abstractly somehow demonstrated whatever the head wants it uses the members of the body everything that the Heavenly Father wanted to show through Jesus Christ he showed through his disciples and so by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness we identify the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man in his words his actions and the manner in which he dresses which isn't supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite gender and this we're talking about uh, clothing that's too tight or see-through or that opens or reveals uh, the intimate places more than it should be and this is uh, an abomination before God he, it's hateful to God when you dress look at yourself in the mirror and ask the Holy Spirit do you like this or not we had one young woman who had repented in our church she did not go at a, know God at all she was from the world and she called me before she went to church. She says, what happened to me, I don't know. I began, got ready to go to church, and I put on shorts. And suddenly I felt as if I was naked and that there was something very unpleasant. And it's strange because I've always worn them. I took them off and changed it with something different. Tell me what this is. I said, you're born again and you're a new person. He was able to sense that. It's strange that people that are Christian for such a long time, their new person is not able to show himself and he, they don't sense him. Another person who also repented in our church for the first time also called me before the service. We were sitting at the table with my husband. We had a bottle of wine 
and wanted to pray to thank God for the food. And as soon as we began to do this, I felt inside something, some kind of discomfort and and it was towards this wine I removed it from the table and said Lord thank you for this meal and I had and that uncomfortable feeling left me and I said the new person that is born in you immediately warned you that there's something that God hates that's in your in in your surrounding these emissaries of mammon that are ahead of many religious churches today teach how to correctly drink wine that the spiritual person is one that correctly can drink wine of course these people are going to hell and those who believe in these people will also go to hell drunkards do not in enter the kingdom of heaven but you say why you say this you know one young person told me, Pastor, if you would not have said this, I would be in your church. I like everything except what you, this subject. Another uh, person tells me, if you did not preach about tithes but just said voluntary offering, I would also be in your church. The, a third person told me, if you would have dances in your church, you know how many people you would have here? I told them I serve God and I worship him as he desires and what is for you unacceptable because your ear is uncircumcised, your heart is uncircumcised, but for us this is God's grace. So there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God and his favor toward man and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man is his favor for God, a man's grace for God and his thanksgiving to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship. This is the ability to keep yourself from being defiled by the world. The godliness of a man is imitating Christ and meditating about the things of the hills. The godliness of a man is seeking God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God is his responsive reaction. In other words, a, first a person demonstrates his goodness to God, and then God demonstrates his goodness towards man. Draw near to, near to me, and I will draw near to you. Seek me, and I will be found by you. If you will seek me with your whole heart, I will be found by you. The godliness of God is his goodness, the goodness of God that he shows to the one who's shown him their goodness, his favor and his grace, and we show God's favor, or us, we show God our favor is by fulfilling his commandments. <clears throat> like Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. When you say this, is your emotion speaking. Take care of my sheep. Uh, Jesus told him Jesus died that's it I'm gonna go fishing he comes back and he and he asks Jesus asks him do you love me more than the rest and he put his head down and said yes Lord I do love you you know this Jesus wanted him and Peter wanted Jesus to say his emotion but Peter wanted Jesus to see his emotion but Jesus wanted him to see what he was supposed to do 
благочестие Бога или благоволение Бога, которое является ответным благоволением на благоволение человека. His mercifulness, his thanksgiving toward man, his good work and good acts, and his kindness in the absolute sense of the word. The Old as well as the New Testament identify the virtue of the love of God and the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there's also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well in the midst of churches that conflicts with or resists the true form of godliness. And when the great harvest will begin, God will tell his bearers, go and gather the weeds and the angels will do this work. We can't have people that have the look of godliness but have denied but uh, but denies power. We don't. We can't uh, expel them from the church. But the angels will do the work, and these people will not stand in the in the congregation of the righteous. They will leave and will create their own sheaves, their own groups, and the scriptures call it the synagogue of Satan. And they finally, being freed from us, will say that they are finally uh, in freedom, that they were always slaves. They are free now because what was inside of them they could not demonstrate because it would have been nonsense. But now they're able to show it. They became free from righteousness and slaves of sin. A person that is free of righteousness and a slave of sin, it is difficult for him to be amongst people who are servants of righteousness. He will think that he's uh, in tyranny, that he is uh, suffering. That's how he won't say it, but that's how he will feel. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Second Timothy 3, 5. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. And I heard a voice from heaven, my nation, come out from the land of Babylon that you may not be destroyed with their lawlessness. Don't support their lawless works. To support means to be silent. It is a crime to be silent. When almost a hundred brothers gathered together to listen to the teaching that I, would, uh, that I was speaking, and when I showed them that washing of the feet is not a part of uh, communion, and I showed them places of scripture to prove this, one stood up and said, brothers, we need to take out the book of Luke because and I knew that this entire church did not understand these were just brothers that got together they did not agree to this but not one of them stood for the truth they knew that this is the truth although they did not stand up for the truth in one of the churches and another also I was preaching from the book of the Songs of Solomon and suddenly one person stood up and began out loud to shout he was a previous Episcopal of the church 
And he began to shout, how can you listen to this? The book of the Songs of Solomon is a, a fornicating book. And I asked the rest, do you truly agree to this? This man was saying, we need to tear it out of the Bible. We can't read this place, this book. And I asked them, do you all agree to that? And not one person was would, would defend the truth. They were ready to uh, get rid of entire chapters and entire books in the Bible uh, and not defend the truth. They don't want to accept the truth. They want to remain deceived. Relevant to this, we need to answer four classical questions. What are the characteristics of both God and man in Scripture? What purpose does godliness have within the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? And by what signs do we determine <coughs> signs, by what signs do we determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question, what conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves? Relevant to this, we have studied a series of conditions that we need to fulfill in order to turn or attract God's goodness upon ourselves in his favor and stop to study the next condition that is called to draw the goodness of God upon us in his favor. This is the need to bring a burnt offering from the herd to God according to his instructions. That is pray in accordance to the order and nature of the offering from the herd. The next condition. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any of, the, of you bring an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If this offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will of the, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And so, uh, when it comes to the sacrifice that is to be brought from the herd, it needs to be brought at the door of the tabernacle. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. It will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. With this prayer, again, <coughs> when he will lay his hands, he will pray, he will receive God's favor, and he shows God his favor, and God will then show his favor. I will cast his sins behind me, and will not remember again, I will distance myself from them, as he's from the West. I will look at him as he has never, ever sinned, because to cleanse is to justify. Sometimes I bring forth an example. One of the examples that is also in my book, there's a, a, there's a court trial and there are two criminals, both killers, and both have the death penalty. 
one, they confirm that he is a criminal and he gets the death penalty. The other has a good advocate. He proves that this criminal is not guilty and the judge justifies him that he did not commit that crime. There was a mistake. That's how God justified us. We are killers. We killed Christ with our sins. We were born with this inherited sin that killed Jesus in the first Adam. And we were born killers in this way. But he, as the median, he took this upon our, himself and he proved to the judge that I did this. I am responsible. He is not responsible. I answer for him. God does not answer for all men. He answers only for his children. He came to save his own people from their sins. He loved his church and committed himself for her, washing her with pure waters by the word, so that she be pure and without blemish before him in love. And he proved that these are my children. And it is I that am guilty. When God created man, he pretty much uh, he submitted him to Christ. He created everything by Christ, in Christ, and through Christ, and creating man from the earth, which became alive. God on earth showed how Jesus even appeared from the entrails of God himself. He from the entrails of God, he was born by God, and he in eternity was in the entrails of his father. Before the cherubim and uh, on high and all the rest of the angelic armies, uh, the son was born and is born when God spoke. And God showed, he said, let there be light. He said, let there be light, and light is resurrection. He resurrected, he breathed life into the planet, and mineral life became the mineral life. And from this mineral life, he created man from the living earth. And when man sinned, God did not curse Adam. He said, cursed is the ground for you. This meant that it wasn't you who, he didn't say you are cursed, even though you sinned. He needed to prove, the earth needed to prove, this intercessor needs to prove before God that he takes the sin upon himself and that he's truly responsible for that sin. And the father received the sacrifice in the form of his son and redeemed us. Those whom he foreknew that when they hear the truth that they will not be cowards and will not betray God but will follow Christ and will receive the persecutions and upon themselves and will rejoice that they had the privilege to suffer for Christ's sake. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests and Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall 
skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in the order on the fire. Then the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Considering that the character of any nature of offering depended on the goal that man pursued in a specific aspect of his life, the order of presenting this offering varied. And when a man brought forth a specific offering in accordance to the, to the demands of a specific statute required by God, then he always demonstrated his favor to God, to which God responded with his own favor. <clears throat> and to more clearly demonstrate the version of translation of the first phrase, we will paraphrase it, identifying the tabernacle of Moses as the image of the body of Christ. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the entrails of the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ, in the form of the chosen by God remnant saying, Speak to my worshippers and say to them, When any of, of you wants to obtain my favor, let him show me his favor by bringing me an offering of praise, pouring from the, his righteous heart, by the power of which he rules and reigns over himself. According to this place of scripture, we've been studying, and it's not the only one, prayer that is not in accordance to, de to the demands of the will of God is an offering that is brought either upon an unclean altar or an offering that does not satisfy the requirements of a burnt offering, which is why the one and the other are an abomination before the Lord. The prayer of a sinner is an abomination to the Lord because his offer altar is not sanctified. And to receive a response from God to our prayer for any nature of need in His favor, <clears throat> any prayer needs to be in accordance to, to the demands of His will that is presented in His order in the implemented by His statute, consisting in the format of the symbol of the nature of offering. Because first, any offering of the Old Testament represents Christ with Him, Christ Himself, dying for His church as a whole and in part for every individual person that has an organic membership to the body of Christ in the form of a local church of saints. Second, any offering of the Old Testament laid upon an altar of the Lord represented the food of the Heavenly Father or the food of fire that devoured the offering since the fire of the altar of the Lord represented the hunger and thirst of God. Third, any offering of the Old Testament represented the legitimate status of prayer with intercession of a worshiper of God, praying in accordance to the will of God for whom Christ was crucified and who has been crucified with Christ. Fourth, any offering of the Old Testament represented the legitimate status of praise that comes from a rightful heart of a worshiper of God for the unspoken gift of redemption. Fifth, any offering of the Old Testament represented God making peace with his nation, where God by the means of the cross of Christ reconciled with the body of his son two nations and created in himself one new person. Sixth, any offering of the Old Testament represented the act of voluntary humility, where a person could demonstrate his thirst for the word of life for the word of life and seek communication and a relationship with God. Seventh, any offering of the Old Testament represented the order of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, where a person honors God. 
Eighth, any offering of the Old Testament represented the faith of the heart, which brought forth judgment of the world, was called to drive away the princes of the world from within our body in the form of our old person with his deeds and establish a stronghold of righteousness within our body in the form of the stronghold of life. According to this place, to this order contained in a statute for any nature of offering, which is the act of worship, if any of the requirements was not fulfilled, the entire preparation of worship during this offering was ruined. Do the saints think about this when they pray? That one incorrect phrase that is against the statute of God can destroy their entire prayer. They don't think about this. If they thought about this, if they would have studied and thirsted for the truth and agreed to be persecuted if necessary for it, we've concluded that the burnt offering from the herd identified the status of a man that rules in his nation in the form of a prince, priest, and prophet, or the entire nation as a whole, and could never be brought for another typical Israelite. A person that it has to be for a person that rules over himself the nature of burnt offering from the herd is a symbol of the prayer of a man who rules over himself a person that can discipline or control his horse a horse is a symbol of our body our emotions when we can control our emotional self or the aspect our emotional aspect this speaks of the fact that we are princes will rule over ourselves ruling over your essence is testimony inside of this person that he has received the promise that belongs to, to the door of his hope where his old person representing within his body the power of the stronghold of death is judged bound and condemned to be thrusted out into hell the prince the price that a man paid so that he can rule over his body consisted in this person being instructed in the faith and by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ died for his nation for the house of his father and for his destructive desires being supported by his old person demonstrating the programmable system of the fallen cherubim the status of the order of worship of the studied by us offering has a specific sequence containing the element of worship in ten components, six of which we already looked at in the previous services. In short formulations, I will remind us of their essence and then we will continue to study the next conditions. I will remind us that we need to have a clear understanding of the fact that the offering of the herd pursues one goal. This is to be justified from sin, identifying within our body the old man so that God can receive the basis to with noise thrust him out from our body into hell and in its place erect the stronghold of life by the power of the resurrection of Christ. First condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in the late motive for man seeking the face of the Lord in destroying the stronghold of death in his body was the voice from the tabernacle of testimony belonging to the man representing the fatherhood of God. We in the church need to hear this voice from the person that represents the fatherhood of God for us. Second condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in presenting God evidence of our control over ourselves, so we have the right to bring an offering from the herd. 
evidence of control for the right to bring an offering from the herd consists in two parts. The first requirement for a man to rule over himself in the sequence of the sta statute states if one wants to bring a burnt offering to the Lord who desires to there needs to be hunger if a person is not desiring to does not have this hunger in the given requirement God first speaks to the sovereignty of a man that is his mind that it, the sovereignty of a man that is in his mind and will the ability to decide and second the hunger and thirst of a man to drink the water of life God respects the sovereign rights of a man which he himself gave him so that he in the aspect of sovereignty would be in his likeness. Therefore, only a voluntary offering where a person seeks God will find God's favor. For God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9.7. The second requirement for man to rule over himself in the sequence of the statute states, you will bring your offering of the livestock of the herd. To bring an offering from the herd is present God evidence of the power of our new person, identified as his place of knowledge in the form of the mind of Christ over the place of the knowledge of our soul that was previously supported by reigning sin in the form of our old person. The words that we say, inspired by the decision or knowledge of the soul or inspired by the knowledge of our spirit, possess ruling power. They are the identifying factors of whether we have power for the right to bring God an offering from the herd or whether we don't. Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Ecclesiastes 8.4 Specifically, our words which we speak identify the quality and the atmosphere of our heart, who it belongs to, and upon what field it, it allows itself to be tended. Third condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in the quality characteristics of the offering that needs to be male and without blemish. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. The offering being male is the ability to confess with your mouth the faith of your heart, the, because the word is the seed, be it an infant, a girl, a boy, it makes no difference. They fulfill the male function when they confess the faith of their heart. That's why in Jesus Christ there's no male or female gender. And when everyone confesses the faith of their heart, they, in their prayer, are fulfilling the male function. The offering made with uh, the offering being without blemish is the presence of upright joy presented in an offering of praise that comes from a rightful heart of a man. This is our manifestation that we speak. Fourth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in bringing the offering from the herd to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. If the burnt offering is of the herd, he shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, so he may receive his favor. To bring in the offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting is presenting evidence that you abide under the covering of the Almighty that for each one of us is accepted over ourselves the authority of the person that is clothed into the authority of a father of God for all of the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us 2nd Corinthians 1 20 
fifth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in laying your hands on the head of the burnt offering in order to cleanse yourself of sin and kill the offering. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord. He lays his hand upon the offering and when they did this, then they confessed their sins in the presence of the priest of God. To lay your hands upon the head of the burnt offering and to kill the offering is to confess your sins, sins that pursue the interests of our life that are not in accordance to the interests of the will of God in the form of a priest of God having the power of a legitimate intercessor. Sixth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in Aaron's sons, the priests, bringing the blood and sprinkling the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. It's talking about the bronze sea, which is the symbol of our conscience, called to be the throne of judgment, upon which the fire of truth in the form of the teaching of Christ is imprinted upon the tablets of our heart, and this fire should never die or dim. The altar itself with the eternally burning fire that is on it from God, that came down from heaven in the form of the truth and the Holy Spirit, represents the motives of our heart. To sprinkle the blood of the killed offering all around the altar is to cleanse our motives from all foreign influences and particles of the flesh. We can't for ourselves demonstrate ourselves ju uh, justified until the priest uh, announces this and proclaims this, tells us about this. We confess before his face and he after this confesses our proclaims that we are cleansed. Seventh condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd <coughs> consists in the necessity to remove the skin from the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. A symbol of removing the skin from the burnt offering is a symbol of removing the old man with his deeds giving us the right to the power to renew <coughs> our mind by the spirit of our mind and the right to the power to be clothed into our new person. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them, Genesis 3.21, so that God can receive the basis to clothe Adam and his wife into the tunics of animal skin. Adam and his wife needed to remove <coughs> the clothes that they, they made themselves from fig leaves to cover up their nakedness. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of, a, of him who created him where there is no, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one, with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Colossians 3, 9 through 13. To cut the offering into pieces is by being instructed in the faith, separate the intelligence, will, and emotional aspects of our soul from the intelligent 
will and emotions of our spirit. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 In prayer we need to separate the desires of our soul and its goals and find them, because if they will be combined, we will not know where our desires are coming from. They come from our spirit or they come from our soul. But the truth can separate uh, these things. <coughs> Eighth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in the sons of Aaron, the priests, to put fire on the altar, then lay the wood on the fire, and then put the parts, the head and the fat. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. The fire that is placed upon the altar of burnt offering is a symbol of the hunger and thirst of God demonstrated in his will that are within his commandments and statutes. The priest needs to teach the people that when they pray, they are not to demonstrate their will and desires, but the desires and will of God. They need to be able to uh, clothe their needs into the desire of God. If their needs are in accordance to God's will, then they need to, before God, ruling over your body, a person offering to God from the herd, he needs to demonstrate his will as God's will. He doesn't, isn't supposed to uh, say to God, God, you see my suffering, you see my sickness. If he knows that it is God's will to heal him, then he needs to say, Lord, I present before you your will and your desire to heal your temple so that your temple would not carry these results of sin and death because illness is a result of sin. And then we begin to speak these things as God's will and not our own will and clothe our need into the will of God. This is to put fire upon the altar. To lay wood upon the altar to keep the fire of the hunger and thirst of God burning is using prayer words that are in, ex in accordance to the demands of the truth of the elementary principles of Christ by being instructed in the faith. And do you know who did this work? The Gibbonites. The Gibbonites, they're the ones who prepared the wood for the priests. And they're the ones that were in the temple. And when Saul, being an anointed, one that is anointed of God, but not a warrior in prayer, decided to destroy them because of zeal, then in the reign of David, God sent hunger for three years and David was afraid that uh, David was afraid of what God did there was no rains and there was uh, starvation and was burning them not as uh, not warming them as a righteous but burning them as the unrighteous the son and God told him uh, G David asked what did the, what was this for and God said this is for the a bloodthirsty house of Saul who destroyed the Gibbonites. And David then asked the Gibbonites, what shall we do for you so that you may bless the people of God? 
and they said we don't need, don't need anything except the descendants of Saul who wanted to destroy us and he gave them ten sons and they hang them before the sun and they hang for a couple of months before God until finally God his wrath had ceased and he then blessed the people again God wants that our Gibbonites our mind that is dedicated as a slave for to our spirit subject as a slave to our spirit so that they gathered those that would we use the word of God we we use our mind and so you can't curse your mind you need to bless him he helps us when we sit and we learn and we read we these are the Gibbonites that gather the wood the truth and then this truth the priest the spirit will place it upon the fire and it will keep it burning to put the pieces of the offering upon the wood is to present the members of your body as slaves of righteousness to quench the hunger and thirst of God which is his fire upon the altar to put the head of the offering upon the wood is to dedicate the intelligent aspect of your soul to fulfill the will of God which will quench the hunger and thirst of God which is his fire upon the altar when we dedicate our mind the abilities of our mind to the Lord then this is the hunger and thirst of God God hungers for this he, he has a hunger and thirst that we dedicate our uh, abilities of our mind to to him we subject them to him to put the fat upon the wood burning on the altar is to demonstrate your godliness to your demonstrate your godliness to God in the in the form of the fruits of the spirit this is our favor to God the fruit that we bear to him in our spirit ninth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in washing the entrails and legs with water but he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water to wash the entrails of the offering with water before placing it upon the fire of the altar is cleanse the motives of your heart from the motives of our soul by being instructed in the faith. Separate the motives of the soul and the motives of the spirit. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any or any such thing but that he she should be holy and without blemish Ephesians 5 25 through 27 to wash the legs of the offering with water is to prepare yourself to listen to the word of God at the door of the tabernacle of meeting this is the Ecclesiastes 5.1 Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know what they do. And draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. Tenth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in the priests burning all on the altar as a sweet aroma to the Lord. 
And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. This talks about the prayer of a person who rules over himself. To burn the whole offering upon the altar is with patience and fear wait for the mercy that God will give and be immediately ready to open the door as soon as the Lord responds to our favor toward him with his own favor. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Revelations 3.20 And so a, a burnt offering being burned completely is waiting to the end. You know that when you're busy doing something in your house and you're your TV is on loud, you don't hear the door knocking. Or if someone else is speaking to you loudly, then you don't hear the door, if someone's knocking at the door. In order to hear the voice of the Lord, you need to have peace in your heart and wait. He needs to knock soon. He soon needs to come. You know, when a loving heart waits, one that may love she or he will not just uh, wait next to the door but will actually open the door and check already if this person's on their way behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me Revelation 3.20 so that the burnt offering in the form of our prayers would be able to have the fullness of Christ, the order of the statute also included the grain offering, and this included oil, wine, and salt. Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's houses, and they brought their offering before the Lord, twelve oxen. All the oxen for the burnt offering were twelve young bulls with their grain offering. Leviticus 2.13 And every offering of your grain offerings you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offering you shall offer salt. Leviticus 2.13 The grain offering during the burnt offering is our organic membership to the body of Christ, which identifies the chosen by God remnant in the form of his bride, because bread is a symbol of Christ. It can't symbolize just Christ himself because Jesus says if a grain uh, falls into the ground, Jesus is not just one. Uh, and if this grain does not fall into, fall into the earth, it will then bear much fruit. So when you see flour, these are grains that have already been ground when God allowed that we be ground first of course uh, you're beaten very well so that the old person would be thrusted out of you and then you are ground into flour 
When we were Greens, we didn't feel unity with one another, although we were right, right next to each other. But as soon as we were ground together, and then you don't understand where I am or where you are. We became one in this way with Christ, Jesus in us and he in, in him, in us and, and we in him. And so then when we're ground, we're prepared and we're baked and we are placed upon the table of showbreads, then we receive the favor we need from the Lord. And so the offering, burnt offerings, either the lamb or the bull, uh, the grain offering was brought and it included salt and there was oil and wine as well. And so the concluding part of our prayer are in the elementary words that we had been studying. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the entrails of the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ, in the form of the chosen by God remnant. We began our prayer from the position of the church. And it finishes with this grain offering, which is also testimony that our prayer can happen when we're in unity with with one another. When we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and only then does the blood of Christ cleanse us from all sin. When we Then we are as this flower, united together. And now the Jesus, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us. The symbol of the salt during the grain offering is a presence of holiness. The absence in our prayer of any uh, foreign particles or mixture of any foreign particles. The portions that you were supposed to bring uh, symbolized the unification of the Urim and Thummim. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of a pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. They shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet to speak with you, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. We know that the oil is the unification of the truth of the word of God with 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 uh, with the word of God with the Holy Spirit, the Urim and Thummim. God says, what do you see? He says, I see the oil in the golden cup. And he says, this is not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord the Word and the Spirit, and so the truth and, and the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth, these are the symbol of the oil. The symbol of the wine is a symbol of upright joy. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Psalm 43.4 Amen. Now let us bend our knees and pray. And I would call all the saints that in some way coming to church were bound, their conscience is somehow 
blemished or with that with sin, whatever sin this may be, may be some kind of hypocrisy or alcoholism, drugs, fornication, whatever it may be. There's only one thing that's important. If you have a hunger to be healed and a hunger for purity, if you're tired of this, sin, if you no longer want to carry this anger and bitterness in yourself and want to forgive, this is your day, this is your hour. The Holy Spirit is here. Come here and we'll pray for you. You will confess your sins and God will free you. I will proclaim His justification over you and God will <clears throat> see you as clean again. Amen. I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that you are important to God. He loves you endlessly and He is able to make you completely free from dependence of sin, from pain, from sorrow, to heal your wounds to deliver you from the fear of death he's on your side he is for you he's not against you close your eyes this is your secret room lift your hands to God this is a sign that you're ready to receive from the Lord what he wants to give you without doubt and without anger Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ I come to you opening my heart my sick, wounded and in sorrow bound by sin fear, shame deliver me from my shame forgive my sins cleanse me with your blood I love you I hate sin. I'm tired of this fight. Put an end to it. Break these chains of dependence and lead me out to freedom, to an open place. I accept your powerful word into my heart and right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words I am washed I am cleansed I am healed I am restored I am justified and I am saved your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ may the Lord bless you may he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessings of the ancient hills and the valleys be on you, and may the stronghold of death be thrusted out with noise into hell, and the stronghold of life be erected in you. May this be in you and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed is His mercy now and forever. Everything that we have is God's mercy. Finishing our triumphant service where God has mocked the power of 
darkness in our bodies has cleansed us and made us free before his face and pure let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.